0: Welcome to shutting Light Hunting Stories Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the average show and their fantastic hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. so listen to episode 127. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Hope that you are having a wonderful summer. Things are going well for you. Um, things are going good for me. I've I uh, got some trail cameras out and um, starting to kind of get things squared away for deer season, but just kind of going slow with that, still enjoying fishing. And um, I have, I am on the board. I have caught something um, <laughs> in my kayak. Uh, so the first time I went out kayak fishing, had a great time, one little bite, but wasn't able to bring it in. Uh, second time I went out to the river and there's a little tiny river that goes up to the Ohio river. And I was on it, went back to a little cove and decided I, I wasn't catching anything on my, my plastics so I switched over to just a good old bobber and a worm threw it out there in front of me about 10 feet in this little cove and Bobber went under and so I set the line and I thought man I think I've got something on there but then I, I lifted up and nothing was moving and I was like, I think I got a log. Are you kidding me? somehow I got snagged and I don't know how I did that. So I started reeling and my it's pulling me my kayak closer and closer to this underground log and I'm getting but this log's moving just a little bit. All of a sudden, I reel up as hard as I can. Felt like I was pulling the plug out of the bottom of the river, and up comes this giant snapping turtle right beside my leg in the kayak and scared me to death. Um, (laughs) no, I didn't cuss, but I was very close. I, I, it scared me to death. This thing right beside my leg, and he's, I mean, he wasn't like the biggest snapper I've ever seen, but he's definitely the biggest snapper I've ever snagged probably the only one I've ever snagged and so I wasn't going to eat them one I don't know how I would have even got them in the boat safely without losing a toe and two Ohio River just didn't want to eat risk eating something like that so cut them loose but there you go I am on the board I have actually caught something Uh, it was by accident so maybe one of these days I'll, I'll learn how to kayak fish but until then, you'll be stuck with my, my funny stories. But, guys, I do appreciate you listening. Thank you for listening. Um, wherever you're listening and uh, leaving reviews and ratings and sharing. Um, we have been boosting some posts on our Facebook. And also just dropped a video that we would kind of been saving of a young man shooting a real nice buck with his crossbow. That's on our YouTube channel. Check that out at Shedding Light Outdoors. If you'd ever like to come on the podcast, I say this every time, but it is an open invitation. We'd love to hear your stories. Send me an email at sheddinglightod at gmail.com all right today we're going to jump into it this guest reached out to me with uh some stories that he wanted to share and i am so glad that he did our guest is jake Kerpactor from texas now i've had back-to-back texas guys so if anybody else is listening from texas right now is your chance i'm I'm running a texas june and july special where you can get in (laughs) for free uh because it's free no matter what but anyway um but no jake does a great job we get into whitetail we talk muleys we talk awdad uh, um if you don't know what that is go look up Audad uh, sheep might help you find it on google Audad uh, in texas um we get into a little bit of everything and jake does a great job so uh, without further ado here we go here's jake Kipater. all right joining me from lubbock texas is jake Kerpatrick. jake how you doing man i'm good how you doing Uh wonderful what's the into this fine evening
1: oh nothing just hanging out uh enjoying a little bit of peace and quiet, just uh ready to talk about some deer hunting.
0: Absolutely, man. I tell you what, I was uh, uh on my way home from Columbus and I I mean I do this podcast and I still like to listen to podcasts, but I've kind of been into like this weird, it's been a weird year, man. I've been listening to kayak fishing podcasts. I don't know what's wrong with me, but tonight I I flipped the switch. And I put on a Wired to Hunt, good old deer hunting podcast, and it kind of got me excited for for uh, October. So I'm, I'm I'm starting to get there myself.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm getting uh, ready. It's getting close.
0: What do you what What's your prep look like? Tell us a little bit. Just kind of shoot the breeze about that. What are some things that you like to do to get ready?
1: Um, you know, typically July is when I really get bit by the bug um Mm -hmm. done i'm done with my springtime fishing i'm all the fish are done spawning you know it's getting pretty hot um especially here in texas so i really just try to focus on a little bit of blind maintenance making sure nothing's no animals or pack rats or anything have made my blinds their home (laughs) that's that's always kind of a dreaded chore but uh it's it's part of it i guess but um really right now is just uh <laughs> Excuse me. Really, right now is I really just focus on shooting, shooting all the time. Uh, I try to shoot my bow here until um, it opens up October third for us.
0: Okay. Yeah, we're not too. We're like last Saturday in September, so we're not too far from that. Yeah.
1: So I really try to focus on you know, you know, uh, shooting, shooting anywhere from twenty to 80, 90, 100 yards. You know, getting comfortable again, getting in the groove. Um, mm-hmm. especially I, I like to number of my arrows you know you'll occasionally have one arrow that maybe ducks a little left or mm-hmm. drops a little faster so I really like to you know make sure my have enough arrows for the season get stocked up go buy another dozen and number them off and you know have everything just fine-tuned so when it hits you know that last weekend in September I can go out and sit and watch and kind of pattern for a little bit and so when it hits that October 3rd or first weekend in October whenever it lands this year I'm you know hitting the ground running I know what I'm doing instead of just you know kind of shooting from the hip and waking up and being like hey it's opening day I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out there and see if I can kill one.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, I'm trying to up my game a little bit this year got the two cellular tra- uh, trail cameras and I uh, got one of those out and I'm like man I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow night and gonna be gone for a week and I'm like yeah I want to get I need to get that second one out like there's a spot that It's really like right off the road, real close. So I can put it, get some Intel. It's a new property. I could at least see, you know, what's, what's some of the bucks. Now, will they stay there? I have no idea. It's a new property. They could shift or whatever, but you know, just kind of having some extra eyes and some locations, that's kind of handy. And then I've started to think, I was like, man, I need to get out and glass this one particular field because I have a camera out, but they could come into that field, several different locations and it's another new property. So yeah, it's it's uh deer season's not, you know, it doesn't end <laughs> in December or January. Like it, it's a year-round thing to kind of stay ready for and keep your mind on if you want to be successful, I think.
1: I know, and it's half the fun is watching them in velvet, you know. You're like, "All right, yeah. And is another time going to pop up here in the next week or so? Is it is he going to keep carrying out straight?" You know, it's it's pretty fun to watch that development.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm I'm getting getting pretty excited for it. So, tell Jake, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, um, you're my second guest. This hasn't happened. You're my second guest in a row from Texas. I I mean, Texas is starting to take over this podcast. So, <laughs> tell us about yourself, man. Um, well,
1: I'm i 21 years old. Uh, from Lubbock, Texas. Um, you know, born and raised here. Um, was was born into a ranching family. So I have, I was, I was blessed for that. You know, um, I I think God knew that I was going to be wired to be addicted to hunting. So he kind (laughs) of gave me a little bump as soon as I was born. He was like, Hey, you're born into family, a little bit of land. So, um, I really take that as a blessing, but yeah, man, I was, um, I've been hunting. My dad, you know, he, he'd put me in a blind when I was, yeah, of course with him. But, I mean, I remember sitting with my dad when I was three, four years old. I wasn't even in kindergarten yet. I'm sitting there looking at these these deer 12 yards away, and I thought it was the coolest thing I've been. Um, you know, ever since then, I've just – I've had an itch for it. All I can think about and want to do is deer hunting, anything with – outdoors, fishing, camping, hunting, you know, anything. We, I mean, I I'll, I'll just love being outside.
0: Mm-hmm. what's uh what's one of your earliest memories as far as you picking up a weapon like when when did you um did you start with like small game what what did your dad do to kind of get you into it and get you actually you know starting in the hunting process
1: um you know i really don't have an exact memory if i had to guess it'd probably it'd probably be uh be dove hunting uh, okay. kind of september around here beginning of september Um, so if I had to guess, it'd probably be dove hunting, but you know, that everybody has their first memory of their first buck, their first, -hmm. you know, um, so I was, that's, that's when it, that's when the, uh, just when I fell in love with hunting started, um, I got my first little buck. I mean, when I say little, he was like an eight and a half year old Cole. And I don't even know if we can call him a Cole because his right side main beam was broke off before the brow, before the mm-hmm. brow. And his left side had a brow tine and about a two inch G2. And his main beam didn't carry out much further past the G2. I mean, he probably didn't score 30 inches. I mean, it was, no.
0: <laughs> but. Yeah, but you said he was eight years old. Oh, he
1: was the oldest deer. He didn't have a tooth in his head, but.
0: Oh, my gosh. I don't think I've ever seen a deer in Ohio, like, on a deer farm that old.
1: <laughs> I mean, he was,
0: he was the oldest
1: dang thing. I mean, he would walk with a limp. He was crippled. I had a cane.
0: The old uh-huh. book.
1: You know, me shooting my first deer, I thought it was the coolest thing. I thought I had killed a trophy, you know. Oh,
0: and it's, you did, man. That's awesome. It's, it's, it's those memories
1: and that stuff, you know, just stack on top of each other. Just that's That's more than half of it. Is just the stories and the, the memories you have.
0: Yeah. Now, talk talk a little bit about your part of Texas because it, it, it may be different than, um, you know, the guy that we had on before, uh, Steve. You know, it, what's your, your your typical layout? Whenever you guys are going after, are you guys using big feeders, or are you guys hunting? You know, um, you know what's what's what? What's kind of the strategy there typically?
1: All right. So Lubbock is up on farm ground. I mean, you can see, shoot, you can see 10, 12, 14 miles in any direction you look if you step out of your house. It is flat as can be. You get about 30 to 40 miles um, directly east of Lovett, and we have this thing called the Cap Rock, and it, it drops off a couple hundred feet, and then it starts going into some canyons and you know, just through rain and water and rivers moving and stuff, the, the Brazos run through right there. So, I mean, it's just moving big old clay washes, so it gets into some more depth. Um, and that's that's where you find a bunch more uh, – a lot more of the bigger deer. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really just kind of cedar-y pastures, a bunch of mesquite flats, um, kind of some – man, I really don't know how to describe them because I don't want to say mountains, but I, they're mountains to me because I'm, I'm – <laughs> grown up in farm ground like flat it can be but you know just big red clay um washes and you know canyons and dried riverbeds and you know a couple flats so it's it's really good habitat for these deer to um they have good bedding areas they can go to the edges of these draws and they can hunker down and get in the shade and then you know at night or in the evenings or early morning they have these big flats they can run and so that um, actually works out really well to produce some nice sized deer
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I see TV shows all the time. and I mean, of course, you can't trust what you see on TV, but YouTube and Facebook and things like that it just seems like in Texas, there's there are a lot of like good shooter bucks. Seems like plenty of opportunities anyway.
1: Yeah. You get down into South Texas, especially, and that's when you get yeah. the, like low fence, natural 190s, 195s, and you're, it's just, it's ridiculous how those things are, you know, mm-hmm. off, they're just on. They're natural. No protein, no nothing. They're still shooting like triple drop time 195 inches here.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, that's gonna be way That's that's way down there.
0: So you shoot you shoot grandpa buck, um, and you get your first one. Um, and I'm assuming since then you've had some success and shot some others. So which if you could just think of like your top maybe one, two, you know, like what stories stand out to you as just kind of being like maybe maybe even like some of those where you just felt like you're starting to figure it out a little bit kind of as you know your dad was there maybe for that first one but then you've kind of started to pick it up a little bit as you've gone um you know what's what stories stand out to you there Jake um
1: so once I hit about once I hit about probably seventh grade I was hunting by myself my dad would you know he'd drop me off and I'd try to spot and stalk, and, you know, we'd have little meet-up points. Be like, All right, you know, about dark 30, meet at this fence post or this this gate or whatever. But um so I did that for a while. I had a little bit of success here and there. I don't know if it's much of stories, Um, but one that really sticks out to me was my – I was a freshman in high school, and I just blew out my shoulder in football. So football season just ended, had shoulder surgery, mm-hmm. and it was on my my right – I had my right shoulder redone, and I'm right-handed. Oh, man. So there wasn't much of a hunting season that year. Um, but the, the funny thing is, you know, Dad was like, hey, you know, let's go try to fill some of your tags. You know, I'm and me and him were both like, I bet left-handed shooting isn't that hard. It's just a different arm, and you'll just close the opposite eye, and we'll get we'll that <laughs> as we go, you know. It was one of those deals where we're like, all right, we'll try it. And so we go out, and, um, you know, it was kind of like a – I was, I was limp at the time. And so it was like, all right, you know, we'll kind of use my tags. We'll use my tags as management tags, you know, I'll go find a big old coal or, you know, something just to kind of call them out or herd it out and, you know, keep the herd healthy for next year. And, you know, I'm not going to waste my tag on taking a shot at a monster left-handed especially. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of one of those days where it's such a truck hunt, you drive around, you know, if if we'd see something, we'd, you know, get out and, walk about 50 yards to 100 yards and see if we can get a shot and that's kind of our plan and we go down to the south side of our pasture and um we see this just big old wide sucker i think he was an eight with the break off so he was a seven and he didn't he wasn't nothing special he was. he might have scored one one 15 i mean he wasn't just he wasn't a monster and, we could tell he was old. He had that big old pot belly, that big brisket, sway back, little Roman nose. He he was an older buck. And so, um, we're like, you know, see if we can get a shot on this one left-handed. We're going to have to get a little closer. So I had my dad's 270 with me. And to kind of paint the picture, that year, Lubbock, around Lubbock normally gets around 21 inches of rainfall a year. And so we're yeah. working, with, uh, you know, not as much water as, y'all get up there really anywhere else. Um, right. and this year we had close to, you know, I think it was just sort of like 29 or 28. And so the rainfall, everything was rode up. The deer were of course bigger and I kind of had to sit it out. My arm wasn't working. Um, and so this deer is kind of in this, he's across this, this tank. And we have these stock tanks for our cattle. So there's a dam on one side and it's dug out with a backhoe and it holds water through rainfall for our cattle. And Mm -hmm. uh, me and my dad slip up on this tank dam and everything's, everything's grown up from the rain. And so there's wild sunflowers and weeds and whatnot everywhere. And um, the only spot we could find where we could lay down and actually manage to see through the scope and get a shot was on a, on a, um, trail, the cattle trail, game trail, and, you know, deer use it, everything uses use it to get it the water, and so we finally get laid up there, and about the time that I'm trying to figure out how to look through a scope left-eyed and left-handed, it took me a minute, I finally get to where I get this deer in the scope, and about the time I was ready to click on fire, um, that deer just lifts his head up and snort wheezes, and my dad was like, hey, wait a minute, and I mean, it was like, I've seen deer fight before, and they kind of it they kind of lead up to it. But this one, this other buck came out of this this mesquite flat, kind of tree line into this opening, and they just got after it in the blink of an eye. I mean, they were fighting like crazy. Wow! And so, um, this eight this eight was, you know, he was he was he was definitely a warrior buck. He was beat up. He was older. He this wasn't his first fight. And this younger buck came up, and they were getting after it, getting after it, getting after it. And so finally – I mean, this is happening at 90 yards, 100 yards. And so finally that younger buck tucks tail, and he starts running, and he gets on that game trail, and the only way he can run is right at us because we're sitting right in the game trail, and everything else has grown up, you know, four or five foot. And so this deer – dips down on this stock tank and we can't see him because we're laying up on the dam looking across the tank onto this you know where it rises on the other side to where the deer were yeah and so after i mean it wasn't but maybe 25 30 seconds you can start hearing hooves and breathing and if i mean that deer was running right at us and so my dad just looked at me he's like get ready and i was like Damn, I'm laying here with the, my shoulder in the sling. It still stitches in my skin. <laughs> the deer's running straight at me. I can't see him yet because he hadn't come up on, like at our height because we're right on top of the tank there. And so I put my head behind the scope, and I'm just looking, and I'm just seeing grass, seeing grass. And then like just like that, boom, I see fur, white patch, and I squeeze off on the trigger as fast as I could. And that deer folded up. I was shooting my dad's 270 that deer folded up and rolled a couple times and i mean we both just looked at each other and it was one of those deals where we didn't say a word we just looked at each other and we stood <laughs> up and that deer wasn't but five to eight yards in front of us it was like those those african uh big game <laughs> tv shows but they'll like shoot a warthog getting after him or something and it like rolls up in front of them that's wow. exactly what happened and,
0: left-handed yeah. first time shooting that way. And you drop them right there. That's incredible. Yeah, That's awesome, man.
1: Craziest thing ever. Yeah. Uh, we ended up, we ended up, uh, you know, field dressing the deer we went in the back of the truck, you know, we took pictures and whatever and we ended up taking it home. My dad was like, Hey bub, I think this deer is a lot bigger than we think it is. And so we get, we pull the tape out and we start measuring them and his bases were six inches each and he had he was a straight up ten with a kicker off his G two, a kicker off his brow time, and another kicker off his off his other G two. He ended up going like one forty seven, one forty eight. Oh. And it was the crate that was that's hands down the craziest hunt. Just like you couldn't recreate it if you tried <laughs> as many times as you wanted to. That was that was a one of a kind hunt right there. And that, oh. that that's that one that when people are like, What's your best hunting story? That's 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 probably it. I mean, that was the craziest deal I've ever seen or been a part of ever.
0: Man, that's, yeah, that is really cool. I just, a lot of, just everything about that story is neat. I mean, having to shoot left-handed and everything, I mean, tough year. And I, I mean, where I'm from, a 147 is, that's a good deer, man. I mean, that's, I think most people would say that that's a really awesome, that's a big, big rack buck for sure.
1: Oh, It was, it was crazy how it unfolded, you know. God, God has hand over the whole deal. He's like, well, you're a little down. I'm going
0: to help you out. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, he knows how to kind of bring us through some of those tough moments for sure. Yeah. Well, Jay, let me ask you this. You know, being in Texas, it seems like to me from Ohio, you know, Ohio, we have a lot. We're blessed to have a lot of opportunities. I, I feel the same way like you did, like growing up. The only thing is is I wish that I would have been more like you and would have taken an advantage like I played way too many video games and didn't get out and explore outside, but I did hunt some and we had a lot of things to hunt, but it just seems like in Texas, everything's bigger in Texas, and so are your opportunities to hunt different things. So outside of whitetails, you know have you been able to chase any of these other critters that you guys have? like what are some other uh, animals that you've gone after down there?
1: Um, we have. We have a handful of odd that you know they're they're kind of roamers. They'll show up and they'll leave, and they'll show up and they'll leave.
0: Um, that's now. Correct me if I'm. That's like a, a more like a goat, like a goat type thing.
1: It's in the sheep family. Um, they're okay, from, sheep. They're from northern Africa, and actually, this is just another blessing, and it shows how God helps us out. Um, our neighbor actually bought several head of awdet back in the day, and throughout the years they've you know multiplied of course and you know at this point we have probably six or seven different herds of anywhere from 20 to 40 odd running around on us at this point and so it's just like you know it's just wow. you look up and you're it's a blessing we didn't do anything to deserve it we didn't we didn't buy the initial head of all that but they leaked over onto us and now we have the opportunity on them so i try to take that opportunity um i don't know if it's really a cool story, but I mean, they really like to hang out in those red clay washes because they're they're kind of a red brown color. You know, they're real. Yeah, they're, like, they're kind of like the color of a whitetail during the summer. They get that real red long hair on them. Um, but yeah, I've killed I've killed um, I've had the opportunity, and I've been blessed enough to kill two odd dad, um, and they make they sure do make a pretty shoulder mount and a pretty skull mount. Um, but that's really all the exotics. I mean, I mean we have
0: we have some mule deer. I love chasing mule deer. Yeah. Um, and I hold on, real quick, going back to the odd dad. I don't know if I've ever actually heard an odd dad story. So, what sh- is it? The same strategy as, like everything else, or is it just? Tell me a little bit about like how how do you get an odd dad? So
1: odd dad run in big herds. You'll have okay. You'll have probably three to four rams in a herd. And the rest will be ewes, but mm-hmm. they all have horns, so you can tell from their from their bodies which ones a ram and a, a ewe. You know, those rams they fight quite a bit, and so you'll have you'll see scars, and their shoulders are a lot heavier. Um, ewes are smaller bodied, and kind of little stubby horns. Um, but the way that you figure out if an oddad is a a big oddad, if he's if he's a shooter, um. When they get real old, they get kind of kicked out of the herd. You know, a younger one will challenge them, and he'll beat him, and so the older one, you know, leaves. Um, just kind of how the animal kingdom works. And so, if you ever see a lone, all that out by himself, you know that he's an old one and he's a big one. And so you just kind of they're they're harder to judge than whitetail. You know, because you can look at a whitetail and be like, well, a ten point's obviously going to obviously going to outscore an eight point. You know, right. Um, and all that are kind of tricky. Some of them curl real quick on the horns. Some of them kind of have an elongated oval that barely curls at the tip. Um, and that's part of what I kind of think is fun. because You really don't know how big they are until you get your hands on them. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, you're really looking for that one ram that's out by himself and that's doing his own deal. Um, typically, they have scars behind their shoulder blades. From their horns getting so big, when they turn their head to eat, they'll, it'll scrape themselves. Oh, um, huh. of kind of bald stripes right behind their shoulder blades from their horns, the tips of their horns hitting them.
0: Damn. I'm I'm learning a lot tonight because I really knew nothing about aada. In fact, a second ago, I had to look up a picture because I forget somebody had told me about them before, and I I I just forgot what they look like. So
1: yeah, they're they're uh, crazy looking animals, man. They're real front heavy. It's kind of they're kind of goofy looking. Their their hindquarters aren't very big, but man, their shoulders and neck they're huge.
0: How do they eat? Is it just like kind of like sheep?
1: Yeah, sheep. I mean anything broadleaf, weeds, flowers, wildflowers. I mean, a little bit of everything.
0: Man, that sounds cool. That's cool. Yeah, cool. well, you you were headed toward mule deer, so tell us a little bit about some of your your mule deer experiences.
1: Um. Well, I have a really sad story about missing a big mule deer. Uh,
0: <laughs> uh, well, you gave us your like your best story of the whitetail, so go ahead. You got to kind of even it out for us now, okay?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had uh, yeah. a <laughs> Um. So this kind of brings me to the point of you don't really get good at deer hunting until you go make a lot of mistakes and learn from them. Yeah. Um, You can read as much as you want. You can watch as many videos as you want. But until you get out there and you think you have all this knowledge, you really don't learn until you do something perfect or you make a mistake. That's the only way you learn from something. Mm -hmm. As long as going with deer hunting you know um and so this is one of those stories you know i'd always been i've been bow hunting for a long time um but i've never bow hunted with angles i've never shot real high up at stuff i've never shot like almost straight below me with stuff mm-hmm. um and so these mule deer run right off the edge of the cap road. um and so you know, I've kind of been looking and peeking around and I've found where this one buck was, um, he kept coming in and out of this one spot of the Canyon. Um, and this Canyon's probably 50 yards deep and probably a hundred yards across. It's a pretty steep sucker. Um, and so I'm all camoed up and I'm belly crawling up to the edge of this Canyon. And it, it worked out perfect. I got to the edge, and he was, I mean, right below me. I could have tossed a rock off the edge and hit him. And so I took my range and I range him, and he's at 50. And I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to do math in my head, and I'm like, well, my range telling me he's at 50, but that's if I'm shooting on a flat surface. This thing is, like, 50 yards below me, but he's probably only 30 yards like depth wise away from me. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll just split the difference and I'll put it at, I'll put it at 40. And I was, I'm shooting with one of those adjustable single pins. So you can really dial it in right where you want it. And uh, so I kind of guesstimated at 40. And I was like, you know what? I'm, you know, I said a quick little prayer. I was like, Lord, I pray that this is a clean hit or a clean miss um you know, and I so I drew back and I I kind of was crouched down in a little free point position and I drew back and I stood up and I leaned over the edge of the canyon and I let her fly. And I heard a thud and um he hunched up and took off running and I was like, Are you kidding me? I freaking smoked him. I was all happy and He ran up on the other side of the canyon. He stopped and just looked at me. He wasn't wobbly. He wasn't, he wasn't nervous. And he put his head down and kept feeding. And I was like, what is going on? I mean, that's a hundred yard shot. I can't, I can't poke him with my bow from here. And so he finally got boogered and ran up out of there. And, um, so I gave him about 30 minutes to an hour. that felt like about two days, um, you know, I was trying to give him time to do his deal and get comfortable and, you know, go expire and pass on. And So I finally crawled down there in the bottom of the canyon and I find blood, find more blood. Don't see it for a little while. So I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to climb up top to where he was feeding and go see if I can find any blood down there. Um, I get up there, I find a little bit of blood where he was eating. And then I looked and looked and looked and he was nowhere to be found and it just ate me up so I finally called it came back home um I may or may not have skipped the college class the next morning to go look for him uh so I go back out there and I keep looking for him keep looking for him I'm retracing my steps you know I I stuck my arrow on the top of the canyon where I shot from to just kind of give myself another you know little field marker to come back out and get right to work um, I couldn't, I could not, I couldn't find him, couldn't nothing. And, uh, so I finally, I finally, uh, called it. I was like, you know what, Lord, I hope he's, I hope he's alive or I hope I just can't find him. And I hope that he, you know, passed fast. I don't, I don't ever want an animal to suffer. And it wasn't two weeks later, I was hunting again and there he is feeding around eating. And so I was kind of like, well. My hats off to you. I shot at you. I'm gonna leave you alone because I I think mule deer season was actually gonna close that day, and I saw him from pretty far off, and um he had a he had a scab on his brisket. So what happened was I shot too low. My angle wasn't right, and I uh, I hit him right in the brisket. Nothing vital. It scabbed up. It healed. I actually saw him the next year, and he was doing fine. Um, but I kind of have a soft spot. I'm like, you know what? We had our run in. I wasn't able to seal the deal. I feel like that's kind of your pass not to get hunted anymore. Um, he wasn't a giant. He was just something I was going after for a little while. But yeah, so I mean, that taught me to, if I'm ever planning to hunt somewhere different, to definitely go out there and practice a little bit before I actually try to just fling off an arrow.
0: Yeah. So Jake, that I, I, I think like what you just said there, the, the story is awesome because even though he got away, just the respect that you had for him. And then also, I think you make a good point. I mean, I think a lot of times we get used to kind of hunting our particular style. And then you change it up just a little bit. And there's, there's some things that we need to practice and think about before we get in there. Cause you just never know what the scenario is going to be. And you might be out of your element. For me, one of those things is like, I know probably one of the things I'm going to use a lot more in upcoming years is blinds. I've always been up in a tree and I think sometimes I had a buddy last year who was, he wasn't used to hunting in a blind with his compound and had a doe out in front of him and he just, he didn't realize it, but his top cam was touching the inside of the blind, like he hadn't practiced drawing back and he just barely touched that. And it kind of threw the arrow off a little ways and ended up catching her in the hind quarter and got the femoral artery. So she died like super quick, but he got pretty lucky that that's the way that it went down. So I think you're right. I think sometimes you just need to practice those scenarios. You know, you never know what's going to come up, but trying to be ready is a a good idea. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, I I mean, that's, that's one thing that I try to do is I try to, after that incident, I always try to, you know, practice preseason of where I plan on hunting. You know, it never really works out that way. You always get into something that you got to get to death. Yeah. And that's, that's also part of the fun. But, um, I mean, that also taught me, you know, learn to make decisions and make good shots out of respect for the animal and not just because you want to successfully have a good hunt, you know, have – you know i have the utmost respect for animals um especially you know deer or anything that i'm actively hunting um i want my i want my shots to be clean and ethical i would i'd hate to wound an animal or bed one up and you Mm -hmm. know spook it and have it run off or something you know i want to respect them and give them their time and make clean shots out of respect for them
0: yeah, and I think you brought up, like, even at the beginning, you talked about shooting during the summer, and that's something, I, I have not got my target out, um, now, I did shoot a groundhog today, um, with my bow, because all my guns are too loud for my kids, so, I did, uh, I've, been, I've been trying to get him, he's been eluding me, he's lived under my shed, and I think he went out and got stuff in my garden, so, I uh, he's had a hit on him ever since, and today, I think I think, he, after I shot him, I rolled him. And I thought he's going to die right there. And then he popped back up and went underneath the shed. I'm like, well, great. Now he's going to stink it up. But I was pretty sure I hit him. And I went down my arrow, confirmed that I I made a pretty good shot on him. But that's not the practice that I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting the target out and sending arrows. And I think that's uh, definitely something I need to start doing. Because, see, I mean, you get into August, you get into September, and it just seems like things fly by and you just forget. And next thing you know, like you said, season's around the corner. And you need to be ready for those scenarios.
1: Yeah, you you need to be practicing to be able to make clean, ethical shots. I mean, that's that's just part of it. That's part of the fun, too, is being able to actually pull it out and be like, all right, it's time. I'm going to start practicing. It's here.
0: Yeah, it was, I'll tell you a quick story on my end. One that was really rewarding was I I used to spine a lot of deer and it was for the very reasons you're talking about. Like I, I would practice on flat ground, standing, shooting at a target directly in front of me at like 30, 40, 50 yards, but I never practice elevated. And I, I, I would get elevated and then something would just mess with me in that distance And I would end up shooting these deer high. And I, I mean, I'd drop them and then I'd put another arrow in them, but that's just not the way you really want to do that. And so I spent a lot of time one summer, um, getting up to elevation and shooting and doing that and opening night, I went with my buddy Trav and this deer came out and not only did she go in below the tree, she actually dropped down into a ravine down in below me. So she was way, I mean, way down deep uh, 30 yards away but like it was clear in the bottom of this thing and I, I factored that in took my time pulled the trigger and it was probably the best shot I, I've made on a deer at least up to that point point. double longer she kicked and went 40 yards and crashed. And that just like, that was confirmation to me. Like this definitely need to take time. Uh, I never, I did not get that on film. It was one of those, I had the camera up, but I bumped the camera at the last second and it kind of swung out to the right. So you hear the shot, but wasn't able to get, to get that on film. But I just, I still remember so vividly in my mind, like the practice that led into that shot and then just a, a, a quick, clean ethical kill just feels really good.
1: Yeah, that's that's the best, you know. You know, for yourself and you know, I, I mean, if I had to imagine getting shot by that arrow, I'd want it to be pretty quick rather than a fifteen or thirty minute ordeal. You know, that's
0: a good point. Hmm. Well, I think we got time. If I don't know if how many more stories you got up your sleeve that you'd want to tell, but if you got one more, um, any other critters that you chase after, anything else? Oh, yeah, we got we got to end on like a uh, you get something note. All right, I got
1: this. Was this is actually my twenty? This is what year? Twenty twenty one. So this is my last season, Buck. Um, and this, this, this took place with my dad as well, but more so, it took place with my my best friend. Um, my best friend's name is Brock Mooneyham, um, and he's one of those dudes. He's whatever he does, he does it. 100% and hard as you can do it. I mean, if I come to him and I'm like, you know, hey dude, let's let's start this Bible study. Let's let's um, let's go deer hunting. Hey, I'm struggling with this. Do you have a minute? I mean, he's always there. He'll pick up the phone. Um, we live we live two hours away from each other, and I can literally text him and be like, Hey man, I'm thinking about going out in the morning. Do you have anything tomorrow? And he said he'll so half the time he's like, Do you care if I sleep with you tonight? And he'll drive right then in there. Or he'll be like, all right, I'll beat your house at five a.m. Let's roll. And he'll wake up at two thirty and three, and he'll meet me at my house at five a.m. and we'll go hunting together. Um, and I feel like that's also an important part of hunting is having to having people that you can share it with. And that's definitely my go-to is Brock him He's he's been my best friend forever. He'll be my he'll be my best friend until I die. Um, so me and Brock we were hunting a lot this year together. Um, I got him into bow hunting. He's addicted now. So, um, he, he thanks me all the time for him always having to spend money on arrows and bows. <laughs> and all that. So, um, it's just part of it. But, um, yeah, Brock's, Brock's my hunting buddy. Um, he's my best friend. So me and Brock found a double drop tine with palmated brow tines And he had double kickers off one G2 and double kickers off the other G2. So he was an eight with double drops, palmator brow tines and double kickers off each G2. He, he was a beast. Um, and I mean, it was one of those deals when we first saw him, we were like shaking, didn't say a word, just looked at each other. We're like, dude, did you see that deer? I mean, it was, it was one of those deals where I, we, we talked about it for the next week. We had text each other and back, like, dude, I can't get that deer out of my head. <laughs> and we chased him and chased him and chased him and chased him, man. We spent, I don't know how many hours we spent chasing that deer. And at the time I was going to Texas tech and he was going to um, WT up in Amarillo and it would be like a, thursday friday morning i'm about hey can you skip class and he'd say yeah can you i'm like you want to meet out at the ranch and we would meet there at 5 a.m to go after this deer we we skipped so many classes to go after this dang deer um, yeah and so he kind of disappeared for a little bit and this was right in the middle of the rut and so it was kind of expected but it was also disheartening you know to kind of have him pattern right as you think you're understanding what he's doing he no shows and he's not there um and so one morning we were like, you know what, we aren't going to push him. We're just going to go sit on this point because he was running this mesquite flat. And we were, we were sitting on this point and we were able to see him pretty good. Um, and so we sat up on this point for, there's no telling how long, probably two or three hours from, I mean, pitch black to, I mean, the sun was pretty high. It was probably till about nine or 10 in the morning. And I was like, dude, there's no way that this deer isn't in here. We've had him patterned for weeks now. And I was like, all right, I'm going to move over to this mesquite that's on the edge of this canyon. And I'm just going to move over there and I'm going to see if I can look around this corner of this canyon and, you know, see if you bedded up over there. Because our whole plan was, you know, Brock was going to kind of give me directions from up on the canyon and I was going to slip in and try to get him with my bow. Um, And the minute me and Brock busted up, guess who was bedded down about 50 yards below us on the edge of the canyon?
0: Oh, no. That
1: (laughs) double drop. And he stood up and he he looked at us for about 20 seconds. I mean, not long enough for me to get one in the get one knocked and draw back and range him. But it was just long enough just to just to make you mad. I mean, it was one of those deals. I was like, are you kidding me? Why can't you just get up and run or stand there for five minutes? Like <laughs> he, he cut it in half just to make us mad. But I mean, just the pure beauty in that deer looking up at you at an angle with double drops kicking out off each main beam. I mean, it was, it was insane. And he, he took off trotting. He wasn't boogered too bad. He just kind of trotted off into that flat and we watched him go bed up. And we were like, you know what? And the reason we didn't push this deer too hard is because we were probably a mile away from our neighbor's fence line. And so I was like, you know, if we keep pushing him, he's going to leave out of here. And, um, we, we definitely don't want that to happen. And so we spent countless hours, skipped countless classes. I mean, we even spent some nights, we would just spend the night out there just so we could hunt him in the morning. we got for an evening hunt, spend the night just so we could hunt him in the morning. I mean, he was driving us both insane. And um, <laughs> so I think this was around, I shot him on the, I ended up shooting him on November 16th. I can't, I think, I think Brock had a big test coming up, um, and so Brock couldn't make it out. And I was like, "Hey, I'm going hunting in the morning." And you know, Brock was like, "I got to stay behind. I'm I got a test tomorrow." Blah 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 blah. And um, so I was like, "All right," you know, "I'll, I'll go hunting." So I was actually sitting at a completely different point, and this was completely unplanned. And so I'm sitting there on this point, and my dad texts me, and he said, I "Your deer's right next to me." And so I call him. I'm like, where are you at? And he's like, I'm on that North point. And I was like, I'm on the South point. And so we both kind of Simon, like at the same time, we turn to put our binoculars up towards each other. And I see him sitting there under a bush and he sees me sitting under a bush. and He's like, get your butt over here. He's right here. And so I'm, (laughs) you know, I'm literally like sprinting back to my truck, jump in the truck, go around this Canyon, go to his point. And I belly crawl out there next to my dad. And he's like, you see him out there? And he was, he was at 600 yards away feeding. And about that time he sticks his head up and he kind of starts sniffing around and he smells these does that are about 200 yards from us. And he, it, Cause this is still kind of towards the end of the rut. It's early November. So he came sniffing in kind of bird dogging on these does. And um, he kind of checked up at 300 yards and he was, just kind of nibbling, eating around, kind of pawing at the ground, kind of slowly moving on these does. And at this point, we're racing daylight. Um, you know, the sun's starting to set it's getting dark, you know, and I'm like, man, I have, I I have a good feeling. I'm feeling like I'm on top of my stuff. Um, so my dad, you know, kind of, it's funny how it all connects. Cause kind of flashback to when I shot my first buck, my dad hands me his rifle and he's like, all right, if you think you can shoot him from here, you shoot him. And so I (laughs) ranged him and he was at, he was at 307 yards. And, um, once again, I was like, Lord, I pray for a clean hit or a clean miss. Um, and so I, you know, powered in the scope to where I was on him and I put that second tick mark on that scope on his back, or I put the, crosshairs on his back. That second tick was right behind his shoulder. Um, cause my, we had that rifle sighted in at 200. And so, um, I squeezed off on that trigger and about the time you heard the muzzle, you heard a big old smack and that deer hit the ground and we could not get in the truck and get down there fast enough. I mean, we were both <laughs> confident a bit and we drive up on him and, uh, he's, he's, he's expired. He's, he was my, you know, my not my biggest buck, but he's definitely my craziest buck that I've ever shot. Um, the only sad part was, I guess, the way that he landed or hit hit when he fell on the ground, he actually broke one of his drop tines off. So, oh
0: man, but uh, we, ended up,
1: we ended up finding it. It was stuck right in the mud. I mean, as plain as day, it was stuck in the mud. Um, so we got the tine back, and you know, of course, we're getting him shoulder mounted. Um, but he he ended up going he ended up going one I think it was one forty nine. I mean it was like just short of one fifty. But he was a double drop, so you have to get that shoulder mounted. Um so we were able to get the <laughs> get the drop time to the taxidermist and he's gonna, you know, fix it up where he looks all pretty again. But yeah, I'm 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 itching that apparently that we're supposed to get him back here the next month or so. So I'm I have a spot saved on the wall for that double drop but uh
0: oh that's cool man yeah I that's thought it cool was cool
1: because you know that the whole story and the whole hunt started with my best friend and we put so many hours into it and then you know your old man shows up and kind of he's like hey your dude's right here in front of me you better come over here you know kind of flashback <laughs> when you're a little kid you think that you know it all and you show up and your dad's like hey he's right here come shoot him you know that so I thought cool, that was man. cool how that story kind of unfolded but uh
0: that is, that is, yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, that was Well, it sounds awesome. like you've had some great experiences already, you know, and uh, got some good hunting years coming in front of you and got some good, good family and a good friend. And um, so it sounds like things are going good for you, Jake.
1: Yeah, man. I'm very, very, very blessed. You know, I, don't, I try to never take a, a day or an opportunity for granted and just constantly got to, got to thank the Lord for what you have. I mean, Because even if you don't think you have much, there's somebody that has less and there's somebody that has more. So just, I always try to remind myself to be grateful for where I'm at, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and the whole, the whole opportunity and the, the whole sportsmanship of hunting, um, you know, that's what, that's what men are designed to do. Um, and that's how, that's how God has wired us. And, um, you know, that that's, that's ultimately when I feel most connected to God and I have some of my best prayers and communications. And, um, I mean, there's been some days where I just, you know, I, I, I grow more spiritually in the pasture rather than taking another step is to becoming a better hunter. Yeah. I, um, that's definitely my, my spiritual place. Um, and I just, I thoroughly enjoy it and I'm, I'm blessed that I even have the opportunity to even be able to go look at animals you know?
0: Yeah, I agree, man. I think it's that opportunity for you just to kind of get away from a lot of the stuff that distracts you. I find, you know, um, so I I mean, I enjoy getting up in the morning and read my Bible and those kind of things, but it's, it's tough sometimes because my, my kids, you know, (laughs) you get kids and you have no idea they could wake up at 6am. They could wake up at 9am. You just, and a lot of times there's always that, but if I'm out there and I know that it's my designated time, that is, uh, you know, a great time to connect with God and just get get in the zone for a little while. And, and you know, you look at different things and you learn different things. There's always something to learn, you know? So I think that is a great point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love being happy. Absolutely. Well, Jake, man, I really appreciate you giving me some time tonight. I know it's a little late and I uh, appreciate you telling some great stories and uh, being honest with us about the one that got away. But I, I, I'm grateful for uh, just being able to get the chance to talk to you tonight man
1: yeah i enjoyed it very much thank you for having
0: me absolutely man we'll chat with you later on all right all right sounds good really appreciate jake coming on the show sharing his stories and he had some good ones um it's kind of interesting to me the way that that podcast ended with him talking about how hunting has given him that special time or that special place where he can go to connect with God. I recorded this interview with Jake about a week ago, and I tried to get it out before we went off to church camp, but just so much stuff going on, getting ready. I was not able to get it edited uh, until now, but I think that that's kind of appropriate because this camp that I go to, I got to tell you about it. uh, 15 years ago, I started going to this camp, trying to help this camp grow and and, uh, make it be a place where kids can just kind of get away from their phones, get away from media, get away from just everything, and just kind of disconnect uh, with all of that and connect with God. And there's a lot of drama, I won't go into details, a lot of drama kind of getting into this year, and uh, 45 kids showed up, and I tell you, it was a fantastic week. Um, Weather was just absolutely fantastic. We had some crazy storms there a little bit, but other than that, it was just great, Something I realized while I was at that camp is that just by showing up on the grounds itself gave me an opportunity just to reconnect with God a little bit, to just breathe a little bit. I I try and help the camp, but I realize how much this camp has helped me. And it just kind of makes me think about places. In the Bible, there's these places that people go to connect with God. A lot of times they go up on a mountain. That's what Jesus did. Jesus would go up on a mountain to pray and connect with God before he came down and dealt with people. Uh, people would go to the temple. People would go to different locations. And it just makes me think that sometimes we just recognize that there are certain places that we can go, and it's going to help us connect with God a little bit better. And so my question for you is, what is that place for you? Where do you go to connect? Maybe it's your tree stand. Maybe it's um, a special location, maybe a spot on the river, or maybe it's just in your car. <laughs> we all kind of have those places, and we should have those places, Um and, and when's the last time you visited? When's the last time you went to a place to specifically try and connect with God a little bit better, to to get rid of the noise, to maybe make, go to a place where you don't have cell phone service and just connect with God? If you haven't done that in a while, I'd encourage you to think about that, maybe making a little special trip to wherever that place is and unplugging and just spending some time in prayer and just admiring creation. That's part of what hunting is, part of what fishing is. That's part of what church camp is for me. And it's an important thing for us to have that, that rest, that shalom, that time to be with God. Guys, I want to thank you for listening to another episode and hope to come back next week with another guest. If you'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at sheddinglightod at gmail.com. Thank you once again. Hope that you have a fantastic week. And until next time, remember to check the light.